It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here, and he's ready to rip Google a new one. Seems like Google's policy on the expiration of SHA-1-generated certificates is premature folly. We'll find out exactly what Steve's all head up about next. Stay tuned. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now, number 473, recorded September 16th, 2014. Google versus SHA-1. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. Save 50% off with a 12-month subscription. Go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN50 at checkout. And by Citrix ShareFile. Enhance your workflow. Send files of almost any size easily and securely with Citrix ShareFile. Try ShareFile today for a 30-day free trial. Go to ShareFile.com, click the microphone, and enter Security Now. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones online, your privacy. This is the guy in charge, our, uh, our king of security, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. Uh, and he is at GRC.com, the Gibson Research Corporation, creator of uh, SpinRight, but also a well-known security expert. Because not only does he talk about it, he does it. He lives it. He breathes it. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. It's great to be with you again. I got Speaking of which, I got a notice from my ISP, Cogent, who supplies the bandwidth for my T1s, saying that I have been participating in a UDP reflection attack against some poor victim. What? And yeah, it turns out that uh, it was, it's my Cisco router at this end of my T1s uh, it was responding to SNMP queries and someone found it and was bouncing packets off of it. So of course that was a little minor annoyance. It's like, oh, well, didn't didn't know that was happening. So uh, I turned that off. But that's the right thing for Cogent to do in any ISP because they'll oh, see absolutely. that kind of traffic coming out of you. Yep. Yep. Actually, what happened was the victim uh, who was being flooded with this, they were rece- I was receiving spoofed IPs and bouncing SNMP replies to the, you know, I mean, unwittingly, of course, yeah, yeah. to the target, o- along with Lord knows how many other similar open SNMP servers. And so the victim complained to Cogent that an IP within the Cogent block, they no, they, they, they had no you. idea who, right. they don't know it's me, but they said this IP. And then Cogent looked it up and said, oh, that's, oh, my God, he's got 64 IPs. What's he doing with all those? So so Cogent didn't observe the oddball traffic, I guess, because it's Correct. not that oddball. It's just an, SMP, uh, an SNMP. Well, and I remember that's a T1. I'm basically, you know, blowing through a straw right. and trying to create a whirlwind. I mean, so it's like. <laughs> well, that's what's interesting about amplification attacks. Because uh, they do allow a single person with with even dial-up bandwidth capabilities to an, initiate an attack that's sufficient to DDoS even big servers. Well, yes, and but my point was I was only able possibly to contribute. Yeah, you were 1. small. 1.5 megabits right. Right. because they were they were the router is here at this end of the T ones, right. and so you know 
I'm sure they like well, you know, I, who, Lord knows how many other people it's one they of had. a small group. One of a small group, yes. <laughs> or a small piece of a large group. Yeah. I think is probably yeah. it. Yeah. So we have uh, some interesting news, uh, and today's topic is Google versus SHA one. And when I decided to defer discussing this and give it its own episode, I was not completely sure there was enough to talk about. But I am now. Hmm. Um, it's really it. It's really interesting. The industry has has reacted very negatively. Um, and I mean, with a lot of pushback against Google, because it's, first of all, it was very short notice, and it's quite heavy handed. So uh, that's the topic uh, that we'll get to after we cover the news. Uh, we're going to talk about Comcast versus Tor. There was a flurry of is Comcast, you know, disconnecting people using Tor. I want to briefly talk. Many people asked about Tim Cook's appearance on Tar Charlie Rose and what, what I thought about what he had to say. LinkedIn was discovered to have made a mistake. Um, there's a bad just today uh, pre KitKat problem with Android. Uh, and LastPass has an iOS 8 announcement. Uh, we got a little bit of telephone, and we already talked about iPhone stuff. So, I mean, not telephone, television, uh, miscellany, and then a great topic. Awesome. A busy day, as always, here at Security Now headquarters. <laughs> um, we're going to uh, get to uh, the uh, news in just a bit, but first a little word from our friends at ProXPN. ProXPN solves a problem a lot of people have these days of... Uh, Wanting to have privacy, privacy in an open uh, network access point, for instance. Privacy also from your internet service provider. They're kind of snoopy these days. ProXPN uh, is an open VPN hosting service. Actually, they also do PPTP. So that's a let's let's put it this way: it's a secure tunnel hosting service. With ProXPN, you sign on to the network from your ser your computer goes to the ProXPN server in an encrypted tunnel, strong encryption, and then out into the rest of the world. And a couple of reasons why this is a good solution. Of course, nobody can see what you're doing uh, at the at the coffee shop or your internet service provider. Uh, it's completely invisible. Plus, it also emerges onto the public internet from ProXPN's servers, and they're located all over the world. So you can also eliminate geographic restrictions using ProXPN. I invite you to visit proxpn.com slash twit. They have a free service. They have a premium service. Uh, however, I would suggest you uh, use our special offer and try the premium service. You're going to get the best results that way, and you can cancel any time in the first seven days and get a complete refund. Plus, if you use the offer code SN50... ProXPN will give you 50% off the monthly price when you sign up for a 12-month subscription. So it's a very big savings. Uh, that makes it less than 5 bucks a month when you sign up for a year. That's a that's a good deal, and that's ProXPN's way of saying thank you to, for listening to uh, Security Now and for subscribing to ProXPN. They'll take payments through Visa, through PayPal. They do now accept Bitcoin as well, which is awesome. Uh, their servers are in uh, a number of places, including, of course, U.S. Uh, cities like Dallas, Seattle, Los Angeles, and New York City, but also London and Amsterdam and Singapore. So when you are using ProXPN and you choose the Singapore server, that's where it looks like you're coming from. 2048-bit encryption keys, 512-bit encryption tunnels, OpenVPN and PPTP. So you are secure. 
Their software for Windows and Mac gives you even more advanced control. You can select ports, connect it, start up, even select which programs should be shut down should your anonymous connection be interrupted. ProXPN.com slash twit. The offer code SN50 for 50% off with your 12-month subscription. ProXPN.com slash twit. And onward we go. Now first. Yes. Yesterday's triangulation. Oh, did you enjoy that? Oh, my goodness, Leo. I love Lawrence. I I wanted to make sure all of our listeners knew of this fabulous Dr. Lawrence Krauss interview you did. He was just delightful. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, a lot of energy, very literate. He He's a, a physicist and a cosmologist. Um, and um, But I mean, just compelling. He's, and I was, you know, it's funny because he's, he's one of the best science writers out there today. He's written a number of great books. And my son Henry is a huge fan of his. No kidding. Uh, yeah, because he got Henry into physics. He read his books and uh, er, uh, Green's books uh, and and fell in love with physics. And that's where Lawrence Krauss deserves a lot of credit. Of course, he's an advanced experimental uh, physics theorist. He works on dark energy, um, but uh, oh, a I, great I just, communicator. I, yeah. I, I mean, so I, 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 don't, I think I didn't say this well. Everybody listening to this podcast has to watch yesterday's triangulation. Well, I couldn't I mean, agree more. It, it, it was fabulous. I mean, it really yeah, was. Yeah. I, I loved it. He said, I mean, there were, it was so pithy. There were just so many, so many things he had. I was thinking, wow, you know, his students are lucky people. Um, and he was talking about like how he's a physicist and he deals with like the excited states of matter. And he said the two most exciting states to be in are confused and wrong. And, and, you know, I mean, he, he really understands the essence of the scientific method, that it's not about being proven right, but the only time you're learning is when you realize, oh, crap, what I thought is completely wrong. <laughs> and that's an exciting thing. That's not Didn't to be ashamed love that? of. Yeah. Or, oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, it just, and I mean, and, and. And in fact, I was hoping that Audible was going to be a sponsor this week because I've, I went, I took the trouble to verify that his most recent book why, um, is t- titled "A Universe from Nothing." Why is something? Why there is something rather than nothing <laughs> is on Audible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think Jenny's going to get it and Good. and and Good. and listen to it and or read it as people say. <laughs> um, it just sounds. It just oh, I th- I, actually, I think she downloaded it on her Kindle because she said she thought she would be better reading it than listening to it in order to like not have it just you know go by so so that she can focus on it. But um, and I may do the same thing if I can find some time because I just I just loved yesterday's interview. So I want to make sure that our security now listeners who didn't know about it. Uh, We'll take the time to go listen to it. It's absolutely worthwhile. Episode uh, 167 of Triangulation. You could find it uh, at twit.tv slash TRI167. Of course, it's on everywhere else, you know, iTunes and all of that stuff. Yeah, he's great. And I, I, I was actually quite pleased because at the end of it, he said, hey, this wasn't bad at all. I think he was, <laughs> I think he was expecting the worst. And, well, it's uh, interesting, too. I was watching him. He was, whatever he was doing, he was studying something. To get himself ready for yeah, it. Yeah, he was reading I mean, his the four. So the premise for getting him on 
was he'd written the foreword to a new science fiction story, short story collection, which he'd written more than a year ago. So he was rereading his foreword so he knew what he said. So Because he thought, and I think this is the problem, he thought this is going to be all about the book. And it wasn't. It was we, you know, that was the excuse for getting Lawrence Krauss on the air. I just, yeah, know, yeah, because I love his stuff. He was on a cruise that I was on. Um, it was a Scientific American cruise for the Australian uh, total eclipse uh, a couple of years ago. And, I remember uh, when it was overcast. You, yeah, he was you, so you peeved. Came, you came back talking about how, well, you know, I'm sure there was an eclipse up there yeah, somewhere. He was but... mad because the captain felt like the captain just <laughs> didn't want to get to the eclipse. He was going to stay in the clouds. <laughs> but uh, I had seen him speak, and I was very, very impressed. I knew of his books. Um, so we just, it was just an excuse to get him on. And uh, I think well, he was happy I just, to talk I want to make sure physics. our listeners know. Good, thank I, you. I loved it, and I, I can't imagine anyone who enjoys this podcast would not equally enjoy this guy because he was just – he was terrific. I mean it was just – it was as fast as you could go. He was you know coming out with really fun observations. So That's the best part about the show, which you've been on twice. Triangulation is an interview show, and it's fun to get smart people and, and to have an hour to talk to them is such a pleasure for me. I just love – the opportunity and we use it really as an excuse to get people i want to talk to on yeah it was, it was like just you. great yeah well thank you yeah. so um you get me every week like it or not <laughs> so uh comcast versus tor um it what i think this was is another example of just sort of the lumbering size of comcast and and you can imagine a culture where the 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 support people are not super technical and maybe there's a few geeks who sort of sort of tend to run the herd you know and and like to sound like know-it-alls because it sounds like some some of the customer support people were sort of like going completely off script talking not really understanding what they're talking about but the, the the reporting from Deep.web was that, and this is just a couple days ago, that Comcast had been repeatedly asking for, well, first of all, Comcast knew that their customers were using Tor and then were contacting them and repeatedly asking which sites they were visiting oh. with Tor. Um, so Deep.Web wrote, reports have surfaced that Comcast agents have contacted customers using Tor and instructed them to stop using the browser or risk termination of service. A Comcast agent named Jeremy allegedly called Tor a, quote, illegal service, unquote. The Comcast agent told its customer that such activity is against usage policies, the Comcast agent then repeatedly asked the customer to tell him what sites he was accessing through the Tor browser. The customer, thankfully, refused to answer. The next day, the customer called Comcast and spoke to a different agent named Kelly, who reiterated that Comcast does not want its customers using Tor. The Comcast agent then allegedly told the customer, um, uh, and I had a quote here. It looks like it didn't make it into my notes. But it was it was essentially it's an illegal service, and 
uh, it's against our policies and people only who are only doing illegal things are using Tor and therefore you should not be using it. So after a, about a day went by and one of the VPs, Jason Livinggood, posted um, a, an official Comcast response titled Setting the Record Straight on Tor, flatly denying all of this, uh, denying that these conversations occurred, citing them as being from, from a chat room where apparently they weren't. Um, and again, I, I think it sounds to me like these th this group of of Comcast support people just were sort of off script that this, you know, maybe somebody said it and the, it, the legend grew. I don't you know. Who knows? But anyway, so it wouldn't be the first worth, time Comcast support people have gotten a little heat for right, their off script. Right. And, and on one on one of your podcasts recently, some one of your bright people said something like uh, never ascribe to malice what is probably, you know, explainable as yep. a mistake, yep. you know, sort of yep. thing. It's like, yep. I don't really, this just didn't feel like they were perpetrating a policy. It's just, you know, the well, simpler answer is normally the right one. And it's just these, these the Comcast support people are absolutely clueless. I can't think of any reason Comcast wouldn't want you to use Tor unless they were afraid there was illegal activity going on on their network and you're using Tor to hide that. But that's you know that's that's the same thing with BitTorrent. You 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 can't assume that some, because somebody's using a legitimate protocol that they're doing it illegitimately, right? You know, and ask the EFF how they feel about any of these things. Right. I mean, you know, right. they're, they're, they're they've been sponsors of that, right. and for a while stopped taking Bitcoin, then decided ah we were wrong, we're going to take it again. So, okay, so Tim Cook was on Charlie Rose, and because of the deep dive we did into Apple iOS seven security. We've absolutely verified that while Apple may not have the keys for decrypting iMessages because they are managing the keys in a way that is completely transparent to their users, they have the absolute capability of reading iMessages if they want to. And so... What Tim Cook was quoted, what Tim Cook said, and I watched the interview, was we're not reading your email. We're not reading your iMessages. If the government laid a subpoena on us to get your iMessages, we can't provide it. It's encrypted and we don't have the key. He, uh, well, okay, so I think that is factually accurate, but it's not effectively accurate it's not operationally accurate they have the ability we know they have the ability to have the keys i mean they actually have the keys they may not be using them but they, they he says we don't have the key well yes you do have the key you're providing them to each of us so that we can cross encrypt our i messages to each other so by definition you have to have the key still you know He's in the top floor of the building, and it's you got to go about halfway down probably until you actually get to people who understand the the technology of this. And so that's you know, probably I, the case. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's not deliberate. I'm I'm sure this is what he's been told, though. It's and, and the reason I got all this feedback from our listeners is, wait a minute, who's right here? And it's like, well, I'm sure he he believes he's right. 
and you 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 can see it as a way of being right, but I think technically he's not. Um, he also did say our customers are not our product. He carried on about that for a while. Uh, he says, you know, these gadgets here, and he had laid them out on the table in front of Charlie. He says, you know, these gadgets are what we're selling. We're not selling our 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 customers' data, our customers' lives, our customers' experiences. And I mean, he he went to some. He went to some effort to sort of demonstrate, I think, that, uh, you know, or, or differentiate himself from, you know, clearly the elephant in the room there was Google yeah. that he was referring to. So yeah. And the NSA and Facebook and. Yeah. And he said, we go out of our way not to have our right. customers data. We don't want it. And the fact is, our own analysis of the, the design of their system you know, one of the conclusions I came to after the three episodes we did on iOS 7 was exactly that. They have – it was evident to me from a technology standpoint they were working to have as little responsibility as they could while still delivering the experience, you know, the it just works experience, which we know is difficult for, you know, to offer for security because that, that is oftentimes at odds with convenience. So I would love it if, uh, I mean, you know, I understand why you give Charlie Rose an interview because he's, it's very prestigious. He's on Bloomberg, he's on PBS. But Charlie's not known for his technical acumen, nor is he known for his hard hitting <laughs> questions. And that's another reason perhaps that they chose it, him for that interview. But I would, I mean, I would love Tim Cook, maybe if he wants to bring along some expert, uh, you know, technical people with him. To come on our network or some similar network where you could have actual uh, expertise, uh, so that we can ask him some some you know a little bit more challenging questions about this stuff. Yeah, but, and I wonder if he can answer those, Leo. No, well that's what I, I mean, said. I, Maybe he'll bring in somebody who does. Of course he can. Yeah. He's a CEO. I don't interview CEOs. You notice I very and, rarely and, do CEO interviews. They don't know nothing. Yeah, and it's they're not like, going to say it if they do. It's like the U.S. cyber czar guy, you know, where he boasts yeah. that he he doesn't know what yeah. end to plug in. And I don't like, need to. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I just signed yeah. the checks. <laughs> yeah, and, and I had that job. I just like shoot me right now. Right. I'm sure I'd be exactly. I'd be screaming and then tied up in a straitjacket in about a week because of just you know it was it's all about politics and bureaucracy. None. It's not. It's not about technology. Right. So. Right. And he's never okay. going to come on a challenging uh, venue and, uh, and try no, to answer why, those questions. You know, he should. How he would that need benefit to. Apple? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the right, exact right question. How does that benefit Apple? So um, LinkedIn made a mistake. Uh, and this is not a big breach. This, it's gotten some bad press, I think. I mean, it's not it, – it's, it, it, it's, it's a goof. Some clever security guys, the, the two founders of Rhino Security Labs in Seattle – uh, Benjamin uh, Caudill and Brian Seeley, they leveraged an unintended side effect of a LinkedIn feature. LinkedIn has a feature because, you know, it's all about getting you LinkedIn. When you are setting up an account, LinkedIn says, hey, you know, we'd like to help you connect to other people on LinkedIn who you know in your other social networking environments like your Gmail um, address book or your Yahoo contact list. So can we have access to that? And you say, oh, that sounds handy. So yeah. And so LinkedIn goes and sucks out all of your contacts in this 
this other facility and then does a a cross-reference of the email addresses of the people you claim to know, thus the problem, against LinkedIn, you know, the addresses LinkedIn knows everybody in LinkedIn has, and then populates your connections list in LinkedIn. That's not a bug. That's a feature. (laughs) Yeah, except that it makes it rather automatable, and that's what these guys did. They, uh, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering his name. Uh, someone famous who's gotten into technology. I, 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 Ashton they, Kutcher? No. Uh, shoot. Uh, Charlie no, anyway, Rose? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, All right. So uh, they, it'll probably come. So what they did was, they just put into their address book a ton ah. of email guesses, just guessing famous people's email addresses, all kinds of permutations, their names and various ways and, and so forth. Oh, Cuban, Mark Cuban. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I knew it would come. So, uh, and it turns out LinkedIn you know, filtered through all of those on their behalf and said, oh, yeah, here's here's, here's Cuban's email address. <laughs> and, and they but didn't... did they have to have his address to begin with? I don't understand. No. Just no, his name. They... You just put Mark Cuban in there. No, no. The, what they did was they, they created fake address book entries yeah. in Gmail so or Yahoo. How much information had to be in that entry for, that, for LinkedIn to give them the email address? I think they had to have the email address correct. But the point was they were able to build a huge fake contact list that was all of these guesses, and LinkedIn did the cross-referencing. Ah, it, for- it confirmed one. Yes. Got it. Precisely. Um, and and then they actually leveraged this into an interesting uh, social engineering deal. Uh, Cuban has got some new... Uh, social networking app yeah that's it and so they waited for a tweet to appear they made a comment of that then they 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 used the fact that they had his email address and they they, in order to get basically in order to get some work for from from mark saying hey you know would you like us to check your you got a little problem system (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) because we just we just hacked linkedin so anyway that that's what that's about it's not uh, it, it was being billed as like a major flaw in LinkedIn. It's like, well, okay, I'm not sure how you offer this facility without opening it to abuse, except, well, I, I just don't know, because you could certainly have valid email addresses, which LinkedIn doesn't know. So a bunch of, of, a bunch of non-collisions are not going to disqualify you or demonstrate that you're trying to hack, the, you know, hack that facility, and one of them is going to match. If you guess a lot, so and, and, as, and apparently, as we know, having that email address is the first step towards a larger, you know, uh, social engineering hack, getting more information. These, you know, the Apple ex- example, the iCloud hack, they had to have a, a correct email address to begin. Right, right. There had they had to have some foothold to right. get into the system. Right. Yeah. Well, there is, however, a bad problem that was uh, just recently discovered. Um, and this affects all pre-KitKat versions of Android 
uh, KitKats 4.4, which uh, is just now, as of like a couple days ago, at 24.5% share. So three quarters of Android devices are still pre-KitKat. That is, this affects them. What was found was an incredibly easy to exploit um, uh, bypass of of the um, uh, the same the same origin policy that protects browsers. So, to remind everybody, same origin policy is a crucial, essentially firewall feature of browsers, which 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 restrains what code received from a website can do based on the domain name. The idea being that it is free to like ask for other assets and do other things as long as they are within the same origin. That is, if you receive code from grc.com, that code can interact further with grc.com. But it, it can't on your behalf go do something with Amazon because that would be bad. I mean, it could, it could on your behalf make a query to Amazon. Your browser would give Amazon your Amazon cookie, your session cookie, because that's what browsers do. And the JavaScript could capture that and you'd have a serious problem. Well, that's what exists on on the default Android browser, the so-called AOSP platform browser. Um, AOSP stands for the Android Android Open Source Platform Browser, um, which is installed by default on all of these many phones where the user hasn't switched to, you know, any of the alternative browsers. Um, and it is as simple as prepending a a Unicode, a Unicode null in front of the URL of the JavaScript. And so what this means, for example, is that if a user using that browser on a pre-4.4, it was fixed in KitKat quietly, um, So, but a, a user using one of those vulnerable browsers... Um, visits a website which doesn't have their best interests at heart, is able to present them with a page containing JavaScript that gains access to all the pages they have open in the browser. Uh, it's able essentially to to crawl the so-called DOM, the the DOM, the Document Object Model hierarchy of all of the pages, and and for example, collect the session cookies which they may have current, and even issue requests on behalf of them to other sites that are popular to which they may be logged in and acquire their session cookies, and thus hijack. Um, their their current session and and current credentials. So um, I've got a link here to uh, in in the show notes to the uh, it's uh, Rafay Belak 
is the is the researcher who found this and the proof of concept is as simple as a couple lines of, of HTML. I mean, it's just trivial. You do a, a, a you know a backslash u zero 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 zero, which is a Unicode zero, and then the URL you want, and you're able to like to to demonstrate this that, that this is happening. So the takeaway is for uh, our listeners to, if you are on a pre four point four Android, stay away from the default Android browser, you know, Chrome and Firefox and others uh, should be fine. And you can use this URL to verify that you either are or are not vulnerable. He discovered it um, on what is apparently his own, uh, on on his own phone, which was, um, I had it in the notes here. I'm not seeing it in front of me. Oh, uh, a, a Q Mobile Q Mobile Noir A20, which I've never <laughs> yes really heard of. Run it. Yes, uh, but he also verified it on the Galaxy S3, the HTC Wildfire, wow. Sony Xperia, uh, Motorola, and others. Uh, very simple proof of concept. It is now. It's already made it into all versions of Metasploit. So the bad guys uh. have it, and you know maybe getting up to some mischief with it. So. Uh, again, if this affects you, uh, be advised that uh, you want to stay away from that browser on the pre-KitKat uh, versions of Android. And some good news, at, at, anticipated, you were already anticipating it on MacBreak Weekly, the, the podcast before this, and that is that LastPass just announced um, that they will be shortly, but apparently not at launch, but w- soon after, adding... I support for iOS 8 and doing everything we want. Uh, they said in their posting following Apple's announcement of iOS 8 in June. Oh, you're right. The announcement in June. We've been hard at work to bring the platform's new security and authentication features to the last past mobile experience. Now, with the impending release of the platform, we're thrilled to announce the LastPass app will be available for iOS 8 with Touch ID integration and a Safari extension for automated web logins. This marks a tremendous shift, they wrote, in our ability to bring a seamless login experience to LastPass users on iOS. And, you know, all of us who are LastPass users on iOS are saying, yay, you know, no more need. I was, I was talking about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, about having to switch over to the LastPass tab or the LastPass app, you know, get the password, copy it, then, you know, and, and I, I mentioned how I copy the password first, then my username second, so that it overwrites the password in the clipboard and so forth. I mean, things like that, that all goes away. So the the, the third-party uh, app extension for a Safari allows them to integrate into Safari, so it'll just be able to populate the fields the way it does on desktop browsers. Um, and then with Touch ID integration, uh, they'll be able to ask for a fresh thumbprint, essentially, or fingerprint from iOS. iOS will then prompt the user to get to, to on the fly in real time, provide an authentication thumbprint for that instance of, of login which then and then the return comes back to LastPass. Applications get nothing but a, a yay or nay. It's like yes, the person successfully authenticated just now, 
um, and then LastPass will proceed to to do its work for us. So, uh, and then they said available soon, no specific date, but uh, uh, that's that's super good news. Um, miscellaneousness. Uh, we already talked about iPhone stuff that I had in my notes because I wanted to briefly talk with you about that. I saw last night at Mark Thompson's recommendation, uh, Mark Thompson, a buddy of mine at analogx.com uh, and friend of ours, um, uh, he said, Steve, you've got to go look at the, um, the special about Fox's forthcoming series Gotham. And so I made some time last night. It's 22 minutes long. It is available now on the Fox site. And my Fox uh, affiliate, I guess, is airing it on Saturday. So it may also, you may be able to get it on regular, you know, Fox TV. Um, it, I just wanted to just give a heads up to our listeners. It looks really good. I was, I was initially not that excited about it. It's like, oh, okay, maybe. But wow, it's fabulous looking cast. Um, you know, it tells the story of the evolution of of the DC Comics bad guys from you know early you know pre um, yeah uh, it, the the Legend Reborn it's called and uh, just really looks great. So I just wanted to give our listeners a quick. Uh, heads up. Go check it out. If it sounds like you might be interested, 22 minutes. Uh, to, you'll, and if you're not hooked or convinced by then, then <laughs> it's probably not for you. But it just, it really looks good. Um, uh, and of course, many people, I, I tweeted my excitement about this last night, and I got a, a bunch of people saying, yes, yeah, Steve, now that Fox knows you love it, they'll cancel it, like they did Firefly and Almost Human. <laughs> or even better, run it out of order. <laughs> Exactly. So mayor vows yeah. to find uh, the Wayne murderer, and then the murder is the next episode. That'd make a lot of sense. This, uh, this right. is, you know, this is an endless, really, isn't it? An endless mo- uh, well of inspiration is this DC comic uh, stuff. Oh yeah, it sure is. How many times have Batman parents been killed? Uh, many, many, many times. Yes, you, you can keep turning the clock back and reinterpret. Yeah. We're going to yeah. reinterpret. Batman returns. Batman begins. You know what's Batman- fun? Tries it again. There's a, you know, of course they were seeing a play, and they or an event. They were doing. They were going to some thing downtown in Gotham, and then I, the young uh, uh, Batman with his mom and the dad uh, walk out of the theater and and get robbed at gunpoint, and then their parents get shot. And right. what's changed is what they were going to see. And it's oh. yeah. There's a history. Let me see if I can find Bruce Wayne's parents. Because <laughs> in the original DC comic, uh, you know, Batman number one, it was something really ancient. Right. And so I'll find it and you can keep on and I don't want to slow you down. Yeah, so it, it, it was interesting. I was just going to say while you were looking that in this special, they we're, we're seeing it's it's all like a shot behind the scenes. So they show how it, this is all being shot in New York because they want that gritty, real city feel. And they have some some wipes where they show the what the cameras actually see and then what how they've been reimagined. And I don't know how they do any of this, but, you know, this wipe goes across and you see like, well, some gargoyles appear, but mostly the buildings are still kind of same, but the facades have changed. Yeah. It's just <laughs> cool technology. It's like, wow. Yeah, so really neat. So uh, um, speaking- in, in Batman oh. Begins, they were seeing 
Mephistopheles, uh, an okay. opera. Uh, yep. In uh, the original Batman, I think it's the <laughs> no Mark. No wonder the young Bruce. Or actually, you like opera, but I, I was going to say, no younger, no, no young, no wonder the young Bruce I mean, Wayne wanted. Mom and Dad, let's like, get out of here. Well, yeah, in the original uh, DC uh, comic, they were seeing the Mark of Zorro, starring Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> Uh, the 1920 version. I love the internet. Um, so there's, a, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's fascinating. I, somewhere somebody has probably published a list of all of the different shows no that they were at. Doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So speaking of cool technology, last Thursday, I turned over the UI complete functioning client of Squirrel to the guys who are, have, have been, I don't think they're any gals, so I'll say guys, uh, over in the news group. Uh, who've been pounding on it, and uh, it's holding up very well. I'm, I've now been pounding on wine because there's some weird display anomalies that I've been chasing down because I would like to be able to have it run under Linux and on the Mac also uh, using wine in, uh, as the interface. Uh, so, so there's some display and some printing problems, which I've been, been working on. But uh, So another step forward, once that gets nailed down, um, and then I think there were a couple of UI things people found. Uh, then I implement the online protocol, and we will have an easy-to-use, free, robust, secure, and anonymous identity system for the web. So getting, you know, each week getting another step closer. And uh, since I've been talking about uh, Spinrite and RAID recently, I got, we, I got a nice piece of email that I ran across last week in, for the Q&A when I was going through the email that I saved to this week from a Patrick in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who just who wanted to share uh, his experience of Spinrite saving his RAID array. So even, you know, even, yes, having a RAID means that a drive can die and you have redundancy problems. It's not complete protection, as we will see. He wrote, Steve... I heard you discussing Spinrite and Raid Arrays a few episodes back and thought I'd share a success story. I moved across the country. Okay, so he's in Pittsburgh now. Maybe he was out here before. I moved across the country about a year ago. And during the move, a Synology disk array fell out of the back of the moving truck. And then he says, parents, <laughs> while it was... <laughs> Literally fell off a truck. Literally. He said, fell off a While it was parked, he said, but it was still bad. When I plugged it back in, all sorts of audible beeps, amber lights, and console messages indicated that one of the disks was past the point of repair and needed to be replaced. So here was a situation where he was in trouble. He said, I took the damaged disk out of the array and put it into an old desktop, then let Spinrite do its thing. When Spinrite was finished, I slipped the disk back into the array, and it's been humming along for over a year now without any trouble. That's the second time Spinrite has saved me. Thank you for an amazing product and an amazing podcast. Yay! And Patrick, thank you for an amazing success story. Spinrite I appreciate saves it. the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about SHA1 and why Google hates it so much and uh, what they're doing and about it. still uses it, by the way. Oh, no, really? Oh, All of their servers are using SHA1, but what? they don't want anybody else to. Oh, yes. Oh, what? yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Before we go there, let's go here. Citrix share file, our 
fine sponsor today. Citrix, uh, of course, is a well-known name in enterprise, has been for a very long time. Um, and they have a whole suite of enterprise apps that are so useful. ShareFile solves a problem that a lot of us in business have. We want to we send email attachments. We really do. We need to share, uh, you know, contracts and presentations. We need to share uh, pictures and all sorts of things. But uh, email attachments, as you know, if you listen to the show, are a terrible, terrible, terrible idea for so many reasons. Email attachments are a vector for malware. That's why I'm Well, always... many people just won't even use them anymore. No, they They're shouldn't. Just like, they will not click on them. And I tell people, yeah. don't open email attachments because they say, well, it came from a friend. No, especially if it comes from a friend or a business uh -huh. or worker. That's, that's when you know it's true. So there's problem number one. Number two, it's, it's like sending a postcard. Every server along the way can see any file you send in email. Number three, bounce backs are a problem. We're sending big files these days, and there are lots of email inboxes that won't take a, an attachment of more than even a few megabytes. Some of them, they, 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 the entire mailbox is 10 megabytes. So this is a, not a polite way to send stuff. What you should be doing is sending a secure link via share file. It's as easy to use as email. Uh, in fact, if you use Outlook and you have the ShareFile plugin, it looks just like you're sending an attachment, but they handle it differently. What they do is that it's uploaded to the ShareFile service. And by the way, they have sync. I use their uh, file sync. So I have folders that are automatically put on the ShareFile servers. That saves me a lot of time. I'm always uh, sending uh, email. Well, I would be sending email attachments. I'm always sending audio files to radio stations for ads and so forth uh, for the radio show. Um, instead, I just have them a, a special folder, a ShareFile folder, and it's automatically synced. Uh, then I can use ShareFile to say, here, you know, send them a link. It's a, it's an, a long HTTPS link that they click on. When they click on that link, they're going to be brought to, it says Twit, it, it's got my branding or your branding in your case. It's, uh, it's customized for the business that you're in. And they don't have to sign up for anything. Or it's it's very simple for them. Now you can, and this is the other thing ShareFile does. It gives you a lot of control. You can say they must enter a name and email address if if that's what you want, so you can you know validate them. You can also say how many times they can download it for how long. You can password protect it. it really gives you control. No more bounce backs. No one can read the file along the way. Uh, you don't have to worry about this don't open attachments thing. It makes everybody feel so much better, and it works really well. I've tried other ways of sharing files, frankly. Um, I don't know how to say this diplomatically, but a lot of the people I'm sharing <laughs> files with are not uh, technically literate, right? And so they do things <laughs> with these files that are not, you know. For instance, I had a guy deleting them, and I was using a file sharing service that when he deleted the file, it deleted the file. For everyone. And, and other radio stations were going, where'd the file go? Oh. And he was saying, but it takes up space. I don't want it. It's, no, don't delete it. It's not. Anyway, ShareFile solved all of that. Now everybody gets it. All the different radio stations. They don't have to be wizards to figure it out. They don't have to sign up for anything. It's very straightforward. I can set it up, and I do, that I get an email when they download it, so I know. In fact, you can even set it up so they have permissions on the server so that ShareFile will automatically up notify them when there's a new file uploaded. That simplifies my day uh, very much. I just I just create the file, save it to that folder. It's automatically synchronized. They automatically get an email. Couldn't be easier. There's also the ability to ask for files. So if you're an attorney, for instance, we had a, call, a caller on the radio show who said, I, you know, I have, um, I want to get my clients to send me pictures of the auto wreck. How do I do that securely, safely? And I told him, share file. There's a request file button on your share file account. And they set it up. Makes it very easy. 
for the even the most technically illiterate person to share a file with you. You got to try it 30 days free when you visit Citrix ShareFile. That's at sharefile.com. Click the microphone at the top there. It's the only hoop you have to jump through here. I'm going to show you the page again. At the very, you know, there's all these start your free 30-day trial and everybody does that, but no. Just for the purposes of this show, if you can go to the very top of the page and you'll see podcast listeners and a little microphone. If you could just use that link, because that way you can enter in Steve's offer code security now, and Steve will get credit. And that that benefits us all. Uh, We want to make sure that uh, Steve gets credit for the ad on his show, Security Now. Do select your industry. You want to customize it. Uh, It's HIPAA compliant if you're in the medical uh, business. It's uh, financial services industries, SEC compliance, compliant with regulations in many different businesses. Biotech, engineering, financial, graphic design, healthcare, legal. I see so many lawyers putting kind of spurious disclaimers at the bottom of the email. Don't open this if it wasn't sent to you. You share file. Just go to Citrix ShareFile. Go to ShareFile.com. Click the microphone at the top of the page. Use the offer code security now. One word. And you can try it free for 30 days. And you'll see how this helps you and your business. ShareFile.com. All right, Steve. S8, well, first of all, what is SHA-1? So, um, we've talked about certificates a lot on the show because they are the, the meat and potatoes of Internet security. Um, the, the way, just a quick refresher, the way the system works is that... Somebody running a server wants to be able to assert their own identity to someone connecting to the server. So they generate a certificate that has their information, their domain name and other information, the name of their company and where they're located and so forth. They send that certificate. They they generate the certificate. They create a hash of the certificate and they get the they they get the hash signed by the um by the uh, certificate authority that essentially is saying okay all of the information that is in the certificate is valid so the the user connecting to the server receives the certificate and verifies that the hash is correct and that the signing of the hash is correct. So both of those things have to be true. The, the, the hash needs to match the contents of the certificate and be validly signed. Through history, as our understanding of cryptography has gotten stronger and evolved and significantly as the power of our computers has just you know been exponential with no apparent end we've moved through different technologies of hashing and and we discussed on this podcast a Essentially, the death of MD5, MD5, Message Digest 5, was the previously very popular hash, which all of the Internet was using a decade ago. 
Um, and you'll remember, Leo, when we talked about this, because the, guy, the academic guys who did this, they, they used a wall of uh, PlayStation 3s in order to create a fraudulent certificate uh, that had the company name MD5 Collisions, Inc. And what they did was they, they watched the rate at which, um, I think it was Rapid SSL was the certificate authority. And it turns out that Rapid SSL was, was like almost all the certificates that Rapid SSL was issuing were MD5s then. And this was at a period where the first chinks were discovered in the armor of, of MD5 back in 95. And it took 13 years to go from we see some problems to a successful attack. So it, it's, it's one thing to find some problems and an entirely another scale to turn those into an effective attack. And even so, they, 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 they needed to anticipate the they needed to anticipate the details of the certificate that would be issued by rapid SSL in the future because it took so long for them to crunch to, to, to essentially crack the hash to to create to, to like solve the problem of creating a second hash, which would that, that, or a second certificate that hashed to the same value as the first certificate, um, they managed to do it. There was like a, a tiny window of opportunity, and they they then pounded Rapid SSL with a bunch of certificate requests when they thought that the one that they were anticipating coming along would, and they they had the correct solution. They got the certificate initi- uh, issued. And as I remember, it was an intermediate. So they had, they'd created their own certificate authority, an intermediate certificate, which could be used to then sign any other certificates they wanted. So this was a a horrifying failure of the crypto system. Um, But, you know, they weren't bad guys. They told everybody and the industry collectively shrieked. All the browsers immediately blocked that fraudulent certificate, which they freely confessed having created and never used it to do anything else bad. And the browsers all blocked it. So they, you know, they never could. Um, And everyone quickly stopped using MD5, which was fine because SHA-1 was the successor to that. And SHA-1 seemed strong and and, and was already well supported. So it was just, and, and this is one of the issues which Google has used to motivate them for what what they decided to do a few weeks ago or decided to announce a few weeks ago and will be doing in November. And that is that because everyone was using MD5 and MD5 seemed fine, everyone kept using it. There was no big hurry to, you know, no emergency to move off of MD5. And... Google's position is that we're in the same place now with SHA-1, the successor to MD5, that that in the future, 
computing power is going to continue to get stronger. And what that means in the real world is the the practical cost of cracking the hash to to create a fraudulent certificate, which is the, the single thing we're worried about. We're worried that some actor could create a fraudulent certificate um, that would be accepted by all the web browsers and they would be able to impersonate websites as a consequence. To do that, they have to do the, they have to solve the SHA1 hash challenge, essentially. They need to they need to modify a certificate without modifying its signature. And that's the key. That way the signature stays valid and trusted by an existing certificate authority, yet they've changed the contents. And that that is that is specifically what hashing is designed to prevent. The idea is it is supposed to be computationally infeasible to create a given hash signature from content that you want to hash. And it's the computational infeasibility, which no one is arguing over time is incrementally becoming less infeasible, which is to say more feasible. The question is when. And some of the dialogue I've seen on the net, um, I had to kind of chuckle at because people have said, oh, in this post-Odin, in this post-Odin, post-Snowden era, no one any longer doubts the, you know, the interest of governments in cracking crypto, which is completely ridiculous because in the post-Snowden era, does anyone imagine that the NSA can't just simply create any certificate they want? Of course they can. You know, one of these certificate authorities that we all trust is a front or they have employees deeply planted in a certificate authority. Or who imagines that the Hong Kong post office that our browsers trust won't do whatever you know, the Chinese government wants them to do. Of course they will. So again, remember that you always, you always attack the weakest link in the, the, in, in the chain, which is the, 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 the chain of links, which is security. And the weakest link is not the crypto. The weakest link is almost never the crypto. It's something else. And so people don't really bother attacking the crypto because that's hard. It's, you know, hitting somebody over the head. That's easy. And getting them to tell you your password or, or you know, having NSA sympathetic employees in a company or, you know, having, I, I just, there's no, there's no way. I mean, the Department of Defense is a certificate authority. So I imagine they can pretty much make whatever search they want to. So I would argue that's, that's worrying about the wrong thing. So, so. What happened is on August 19th, less than a month ago, out of the blue, oh, first I I should say, back last November, so nearly a year ago, November of 2013, Microsoft, and we talked about it on the podcast, Microsoft announced 
the formal sunsetting of SHA-1 in 2017. So four years in advance, Microsoft said, you know, uh, it's time. We're, we're going to, in 2017, we're going to stop Windows, Windows servers, Windows clients, browsers, anything from us. We're saying night-night, sunsetting, SHA-1. Nobody had a problem with that. I mean, it just it was sort of a blip. It was like, oh, okay, you know, 2017, not a problem. Four years, plenty of time. Um, and remember that non-EV certs are issued for either two or three years, EV certs only for two years. So setting that deadline out four years in the future didn't upset anybody because that, that told everybody well in advance to plan not to try to have to be using SHA-1 if you care about Microsoft at all, and it's not possible not to care about Microsoft, in 2017. Just, you know, in 2015, when you make your two-year cert, or um, in 2014, this year, when you make, if you make a three-year cert, any cert that would cross into 17, you know, you're now responsible for choosing S, choosing the next generation in the secure hash algorithm, which is what SHA stands for, which is it's technically SHA two, except SHA two, unlike SHA one, is a family of hashes with different length outputs. Uh, SHA two fifty six two twenty. Is it 226? Yeah, I think there's a 226, 256, uh, I think 384, and 512. Uh, and for example, Squirrel uses both SHA 256 and SHA 512 for different things. I use SHA 512 uh, as part of the Squirrel's entropy generation system, where I'm just hashing all this noise coming in from all these different chaotic sources. Uh, and, you know, state of the processor and things that are unknowable to attackers. Um, and that all gets poured into a big SHA-512 to generate enough entropy to create identities and, and for Squirrel's various ne rather modest needs for entropy. So, the, so it's SHA-256 is where we're going next from SHA-1. So it was... It was fine that Microsoft said this. And I think everyone's like, okay, yeah, you know, you're right. It's, it's, by then, it'll be time. Plenty of notice. Out of the blue, three weeks ago, uh, Ryan Sleevey, who's one of the security guys at Google, on August 19th, makes a blog entry, Intent to Deprecate SHA-1 Certificates. And... What was the, the source of concern, the reason the industry reacted very differently to this announcement from Google was this was not in 2017. This was in November that this would happen. That is, three months, 90 days later, Google was saying, 
we've we've decided we're going to create and this is their words a a slow motion emergency we're uh, we've been unimpressed with the way the industry has reacted in the past they looked at md5 and they use md5 as an example they think that was you know nobody they're saying will move until they have to so we're going to make them now the problem is all, as far as i could see looking at everything it's the only problem is notice the reason microsoft's decision didn't upset anybody is that was plenty of notice i mean for people to plan big organizations need to plan for example uh the the uh nick sullivan uh who we talked about back in the in the um uh uh I want to say Backblaze. Was it Backblaze? Uh, you know, uh, there he's at Cloudflare. Um, and uh, he was really upset. Uh, he wrote uh, in response to Ryan's posting, this timeline for deprecating SHA-1 is very aggressive and puts us, Cloudflare, in a bind. Currently, we provide certificates to our customers Signed by Global Signs SHA-1 Intermediate with a three-year expiration. All customer certificates from this year are valid for part of 2017. We still use these SHA-1 certificates because a large percentage of the web visitors of our customers are using Windows XP SP2 which does not support SHA-256. It's therefore not realistic to expect everyone to be able to upgrade to SP3. This change, and he, he wrote this three weeks ago, so this is current. This change will force our customers to have to choose between having a mixed content warning, and I'll talk about what Chrome is going to do in a second, on Chrome or cutting off a large portion of their visitor base. Can we please delay this move until at least next year? So so he's writing this in 2014. So here's what Chrome does. Um, Chrome is... And this is starting in November. I think it's Chrome 39. I didn't write it down, but that's the number that sticks in my head. Chrome 39, which is expected to come out in November. Its behavior changes if it sees that the certificate it is receiving from web servers was signed by SHA-1. And, and it's worth noting that today, today on at, at the day that this is looming over us, 92% of the web is signed by SHA-1. That is, wow. there's been... Including yes, some of 90, Google's servers. Um, look at that chart, Leo, at the, on the first page of the show notes. I put that there so, so you could display it. Um, that is the... That, is the ratio, that shows uh, SHA-1 and SHA-256... 
SHA1 has just started to come down off of 100%. SHA256 just started to come up from 0%. So, I mean, this is a art. There's no question. This is an a premature move on Google's part. And as I said at, at the beginning of this, and this is, you know, a bit of a double standard. Yes, there it is on, on, on the screen. That's the current relationship that you're showing now between SHA1 just peeling off from 100% off the top at the beginning of this year versus SHA256 just beginning to come up from the bottom. So 92% today is SHA1 certs all of which Google isn't announced three weeks ago, they're going to start flagging as insecure in November on Chrome. And so... So it's in Canary now, now, which is in the very, very early pre... It's almost pre-beta because there's a Chrome beta and then Chrome Canary. But you're saying they're going to move this into the full Chromes by the end of the year. November, yes. I know, it is it is extremely aggressive. So that means that ninety two percent of the web will what will happen when we go there? We'll get a exactly. warning. So here's the way it works. Um, what they're what they've they've designed this to penalize certificates that will be living certificates seen today, which will be living at two different points in the future. The first point is is in 2016. So af, at, at and after January 1st of 2016, if, if a certificate today has an expiration in 2016, they will their user interface depre- declares it insecure today, although it isn't. And that's that's what's wrong with this. Is they're saying this certificate is insecure today? What they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to put artificial pressure on the industry to move today in order to prevent Chrome from complaining about certificates, which if you don't move, will eventually be secure insecure i mean and and again this is arbitrary there's no problem with sha1 it's it's like you know from what i saw it was 2021 where it where if things continued to go exponential and people got you know crazy hashing chips and 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 you know if if we continued on this exponential rise 2021 was where the cost to crack made it begin to be feasible for non-governmental agencies because again governments i'm i'm sure don't have to bother cracking anything they just get certificates if they want them so okay so if the certificate would expire during 2016 then the you get a yellow uh warning symbol um, over the HTTP in the URL, where would nor or maybe it's over the lock. I mean, babe, so Chrome is saying there's a problem with this site's certificate, even though that's not true. It's absolutely not true. If you're unlucky enough 
to have more recently purchased your certificate. And on in January of this year, 92% of the certificates purchased in January were SHA-1, and they were and 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 their and certificates are either two or three years long, but certificates purchased in January would be valid in uh, f- for two years. January 2014 would be valid in 2016, and most people purchase three-year certificates because they you get a discount, you get a better price per year if you do that, and so they're valid in 2017. So. So and of course, certificates have continued to be purchased all through 2014 with SHA one predominantly because that's that's the standard currently. If the certificate has its expiration in 2017, then not only do you get the uh, a, a stronger warning in the URL, it's like red with crosses cross hatches. But you you get an additional mixed content pop up. Hate that. And, and yes, that requires you to click through. And this happens in three or in two months. This happens in November. So, so and, and again, not because there's any problem, but because Google decided we want to create what they're calling a slow motion emergency, and. Here's the double standard. Google is using SHA-1. They're, they have their own intermediate uh, certificate, meaning which allows them to mint certificates on the fly. They create three-month-long certificates, and they're issuing them all the time, moving them forward three months at a time. So notice that they're forcing... All of the rest of the industry, I mean, 92% of the industry has to remake their certificates or have Chrome, which is now the dominant browser, complaining about their website security when there's nothing wrong with their website security, while Google continues using short-term SHA-1 certificates that won't be expiring in 2016 and 2017 because they they only mint them for three months because they can make, you know, they've got that all automated and they're co- continually turning them out. It's why I had to stop using one of those neat Firefox plugins um, because it kept seeing new Google certificates all the time and was warning me that Google certificates were changing. I, I had to I had to stop using it because it was you know creating so much noise. So so this is this is really a double standard and uh, and again you know because Google is using SHA one because there's nothing wrong with it, but they've just decided we're going to force everyone to reissue certificates. Um, Jeremy Rowley, who is an executive at DigiCert, uh, of course, my certificate company of choice, he said he, he also responded many times in this thread to Ryan. His first response was, and later ones were much longer and full of bullet points and raising all kinds of good points. Because again, this is, this is unilateral, you could argue, abuse of power. Google, you know, has earned the position they have with Chrome, and now they've just decided, okay, we're going to wield it as we 
choose to. And it's not a problem for us, even though we're using SHA-1 certs too, because we can mint them on the fly. So we won't be tripping our advanced warning systems. Jeremy wrote, with rekeys, duplicates, early renewal programs, and so forth, I think most of the certificates valid in 2016 will be replaced well before then. So he so he's saying there will there's already natural churn and a movement in this direction. Um, he said, considering many CAs are working to move existing SHA one customers to SHA two before 2016, showing a UI degradation now will probably only serve to upset website owners rather than spur faster adoption. Most of these customers are on a set transition plan that will move them to SHA2 well before the deadline, despite having a certificate currently that extends past the end of 2015. At least consider a window in the validity period range where the transition will likely happen before 2016, despite a post-2016 validity period, such as March 2016, he just suggests, putting the degradation on certs with a validity period past March 2016 will likely have the same effect in spurring a transition to SHA2, but let people keep their current transition plan intact. So essentially, Jeremy is saying it, it is wording differently what the, the Cloudflare guy said, which was, wait a minute, you know, this is just too soon. It, you know, Microsoft said 2017. Google, if you want to say sometime in 2016, you know, if you want to push it forward, okay, but don't push it to 60 days from now. That's wrong. I mean, it's it's really a problem. So, um, you know, that's the story. Uh, it's 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 I think telling that Google is is the 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 first the first line of Ryan Sleevey's post is the use of SHJ one within TLS certificates is no longer sufficiently secure. That's how he starts this. Yet that's all that Google uses. Yeah. So if if there were somebody in the chat room said, "Hey, if it were Heartbleed, you would update, uh, even though you just bought a certificate, you would update it." Um, is it? So, but yours isn't there a security issue? I mean, with SHA one or no? You're saying there is no, no. issue. No, there is no okay. known problem, or we wouldn't all be using it. Google wouldn't be using it. There's no known problem. The what what they're trying to do, they're looking at the past, and I mean they're not wrong about about because of improvements in computational ability. Yes, exactly. But and, they, and we they, aren't and, there yet. Correct, and we're not going to actually be feasibly there until 2020 something. Like 2021. Well, this does seem like so, a, a kind of premature rush to fix this problem. I, yeah, I mean, to me, it almost feels like they just want to be first. They want to be the ones to yeah. yell fire in the theater right. just so that they're, that, you know, they can. And they want to do that. That's kind of a um, shame. 
It is. I, I mean, it is. It's, and so what is going to happen is there are a lot of us who, well, and I, sh- I should say, Leo, when I minted my first, when I went to DigiCert, the default is SHA-256, and I had compatibility problems. That is to say... Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I, I, I GRC is using an SHA-1 cert right now today. And in fact, I, I want to see whether I can reissue an SHA-1 cert that expires on midnight of New Year's 2015 to thumb my nose at Google, <laughs> essentially continuing to use SHA-1 while not triggering this ridiculous notification, this bogus, your, your site is insecure, this, you're not protected, there's a security problem. I mean, that's what users are going to believe. This is going to be, watch what happens in November. This is going to be a disaster because a lot of us are on the inside. We're following this. You know, the, 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 the CA industry is, they're taking steps. But, you know, there's, there are an awful lot of sites now that are going to have users saying, hey, uh, why, why, what's wrong with your server? It's not secure anymore. And it's like, oh, okay, yes, it is. You know, uh, I mean, ignore that. So <laughs> that's bad. We don't want people being told, told and, le- and taught to ignore the security, you know, the, the, the lack of security notification. It's taken us until now to get people to start paying attention to that. And notice if the thing is green or if the padlock is closed and so forth. Now we're going to be saying, ah, just you know, ignore that. oh, that's yeah. that's just Google. That's just them being picky uh, and, and everything is really fine. So you can ignore what that says. Well, that's not what the message we want to start teaching, but it's going to start happening in November. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so what this means is it means that that all servers, 92% of the certificates need to be either reissued under SHA-1 so that they're not, so that Chrome will see, oh my God, that they're not valid in 2016, that they expire on New Year's Eve of 2015, at the end of 2015, or go to SHA-256 certs. Um, And so... Certificate authorities will need to create a system that makes this this easier. Um, and, and I mean, there were some good, I'm not arguing with many of the points that Google made, that Ryan made in his posting. There was a lot that was valid. He made, he raised the point that as an industry, we're, we're too rigid. It, it was, it, you know, the, the MD5 catastrophe where no one should have still been using MD5 and but we all still were, and that you know that suddenly there was a great panic to get away from MD5. That's I mean he's not wrong about that, and he's not wrong that just dealing with certificates is it is not really frightening, but it's something you only do every three years, typically, and then it's like oh you know you gotta and you know and we see them like people being caught off guard, they expire, and and then suddenly oh my goodness you know our our certificates expire, we gotta you know you have a you run around trying to to get them updated. I mean it's just it's, it's you know they're they're arguing that in general this shouldn't be a problem. 
It should not be a problem for us to do this. It should not be a problem for the for the entire internet to leave SHA one in ninety days. There, I don't know what they're smoking up there, but you know this is going to be interesting <laughs> in November because the the entire internet will not be off of SHA one in November. There's just there's no chance and. People are going to be going to get, you know, yellow triangles and saying, uh, okay, what does that mean? Oh, ignore that. Oh, geez. Okay. We should point out that Google Chrome Canary is just because something's in Canary, it's for testing purposes. Doesn't mean it's going to migrate to the Chrome that everybody uses, not even to be. Oh, no. It's, no, no, no. It's their intent. Okay. Yes. That's absolutely right. I've, I've got people complaining about mixed content warnings on my site yeah, now. But you shouldn't because anybody who's using Canary is a very advanced user. And right. uh, I, I don't even use Canary. Um, I mean, I do occasionally, but it's not really re- recommended. And they could very easily at this point back down. They're, and yes. uh, it's, not, it's not in the – so I, I bet they will. I mean, they, it seems like they have to. <laughs> Seems odd. <laughs> Has know. anybody it's responded just... to these uh, criticisms? Oh, Leo! Oh my good! Yes, I mean, th- if if you click on the, it's the link. Uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, there's oh, you see the pie chart. That's yeah. from Netcraft. That's current. Uh, it's uh, out of the blue. It's so it's a page above the the blue pie chart. Uh, the groups.google.com uh, message. That's Ryan's posting, and this thing, I mean, the, the, the industry is really not happy. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an education looking through that. Yeah, so there's Ryan's posting, uh, and, and if you go down, you'll find, uh, you know, familiar names. I recognize Jeremy's name immediately and, and Nick Sullivan's name because these guys are, you know, active in the industry. But, you know, this is Google's stated intent with Chrome. Basically, you know, using their the, the power of of Chrome to force the industry to change. Yeah. When there's no problem. Right. Uh, wow. Huh. Well, I'm glad you brought it, raised uh, the awareness on this. I can I can only think that they'll back down on this. Um, I I can't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's like you know, hey, we like to have exciting podcasts. And I have a feeling in November we may be having a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, gonna, if they, if they go I'm, ahead, I'm gonna, it's going to be a nightmare. I mean... Uh, it's going to be an absolute meltdown. They could yes. also change how Google Chrome reacts to these particular certs. That's the default reaction right now, but they could have I a special reaction. I, I, I don't... But so Okay, so here's the problem. They're... they're this is clearly a pressure move. The re- one of the reasons the industry is upset is that, you know, this is Google do no evil, um, basically commanding the industry to do something it actually doesn't need to do. There is no need for this to happen. Microsoft's 2017 sunset was just fine with everybody and way in advance of computational feasibility for SHA-1 being a problem. But they're just saying, no, we want you to do it now. Just because we can, because we're Google, because we have the power to force the industry to change. Nobody wants to be strong-armed. I mean, just on principle. Well, 
I imagine what the, <laughs> what the upshot of this will be. People like me will say, stop using Chrome. So that's something they may want to consider. And so my point was that, uh, in, in, in response to yours, is that when you connect to a site, you're either secure or not. Right. I mean, you're, it's like, how do you say, how does the user understand that there's a battle going on between Google and the web server and you're the innocent bystander being used to put pressure on Google's behalf against the site? That Google is trying to leverage their users of Chrome to put political pressure to do something that the site actually doesn't need to do. And the political pressure they're putting on the site is claiming that the site is insecure. I mean, there's nothing worse. Now, there wouldn't be a warning if the cert expires uh, before the end of the year on the tw- in 2015. It's Correct. Only, so now, and, can they re? But they'd have to reissue certs that go beyond Yes, that. everybody on the Internet. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem. Is it, you know, as, as, as Jeremy said, companies have have systems have cycles have planning and i mean and the and the cloudflare guy how many sites do they host you know tens of thousands of sites that that all have to change and here's the other issue leo the reason i i wanted to bring up that other page that's the page of sha 256 compatibility look through it I mean, the early Windows phones are not compatible. XP SP2 is not compatible. Doesn't know about SHA-256. There are all, all kinds of other things that, that are going to break just because they are, they're in environments that, that can't move. And the problem is they don't have to move, except Google's decided, eh, we, we're going to make them. We're going to make well, everybody do this. That's kind of Google's point is we have yeah. to do this, right? Or everybody would just sit on what they've got right now. So, but- Except we already have the Microsoft deadline of right. twenty of 2017, a hard deadline nobody is upset about. Right. And and the and, and the and the Cloudflare guy, Nick Sullivan and Jeremy at, at Digicert, all they're saying is 90 days. Come on. Right. Give us a, you know, come on. I mean, that's too soon. Some people in the chat room are saying, well, maybe Google knows of an attack and they just don't want to tell anybody. That's absolutely possible. You're right. And so they although, think there is an emergency th- that maybe we don't think exists. Maybe then Google shouldn't be maybe using they, them either. They should. But those are short term certs, which they'll stop yeah. doing soon, I presume. Uh, why? Their browser doesn't care. They can yeah, march right along right. through. They can march right along through the rest of the year and through all of 2015. You know, right up to their own deadline. Yeah. And then you know that gives them plenty of time. They've got a year from now before they have to worry about it. Is it conceivable that Google knows the government has cracked these and can't say, but wants people to create uh, government proof? Certs. Well, then, it, then in that case, Google doesn't care about the government spying on their users, despite because all the using them. Because they're using they're using SHA one right, right now, and the, presumably they will all through 2015. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can get Digicert to cut me off on midnight, and then <laughs> okay, fine, Google. <laughs> it's very interesting. I I have to think 
I mean, I'm I'm reading this this Google Groups posting and for the first time, yeah, yeah. And I have to think there'll be something more substantive in response from Google. I hope to this show. Actually, they Google doubled down on it with a a, a formal security blog posting. I don't I, I read it, but I don't think I have the link here in the show notes. Um, and it's basically said, yes, this is what we're doing. It had a different headline, and it was not it wasn't just cloning what what Ryan posted. It was like Google's formal declaration. It's like okay, well, well, well. <laughs> like I said, we are not going to have any any dull podcasts. That'd be very uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, Google, really let's will. hear from you because this is weird, frankly, and I don't really Isn't understand it? the the scope of it. They're claiming all oh, this is this is going to affect fewer than one percent of sites, but it's more like ninety two percent of sites. Uh, yeah. Everyone. Why is their number that. so low? Where are they getting what that number from? I don't know what they're thinking of. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, get ready because uh, I, I imagine oh. people go to Firefox from this. Frankly, go ahead. Uh, and 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 well, yeah. Okay. The 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 other thing I wanted to mention was remember that that the way the system is set up is in order for this to be effective. That is, if is if SHA one is a problem, yeah. Then we can't have any. SHA1 accepted. By that I mean if a web server is switching to to SHA256 and it's got great security on into, you know, the year 4000. Yeah. Uh so great. It's using SHA256. But if SHA1 is a problem or believed to be a problem, then no browsers can accept SHA-1. That is, that's that's what we actually have to prevent, is the acceptance of SHA-1 by any browser. Because a bad guy, I mean, because the browser doesn't know that, you know, a given site has an SHA-256 certificate if they receive an SHA-1 fraudulent certificate from a fraudulent site. The, if the browser is still willing to accept SHA-1, then we still have a problem. So, so we, so the what would have happened is that by 2017, there would, with four years of notice, nobody, nobody would have, and no, no, nobody would generate any sympathy for still trying to use <laughs> SHA-1, and all the browsers. Would you know Mozilla would issue a new Firefox removing support for SHA one? Lord knows Chrome would, uh, although they'd have to stop using it themselves first. Um, and we know that Microsoft will. And at that point, we're then safe from any future use of SHA one in the year twenty twenty one, with you know f- when it might theoretically be, be computationally feasible. Remember, governments. Don't need to crack certificates. They just issue them. Right. They've. Uh, there's no question. Right. That you know that the NSA can have a certificate for any site that it wants. Right. If it's uh, I just you know if we don't believe that today we're we haven't been paying attention for the last year. Right. Wow. All right. Well, uh, be very interesting. Fun to see what Happens over the next few fun, months. Fun time. You'll find yeah. Steve Gibson at grc.com. That's his website. Questions, thoughts about this or any of our topics can be 
fed to him at grc.com slash feedback. We'll probably be doing a Q&A episode next week, so this would be a good time to do that. grc.com slash feedback. You'll also find 16 kilobit versions of this show there, along with full human written transcriptions and lots of other great <laughs> stuff, including spin right. I got I got email from Elaine last week toward the very end of the podcast uh, when you and I were like, I, we were like talking over each other and I said something that made absolutely no sense. And I can't remember now what the phrase was, but so she sent it to me. She says, I'm going to hold the transcript until you tell me what you meant. <laughs> and that, and, and I read it and I said, I wrote back, I, said, I have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> Just remove that whole, it's, it's like I said something like the Romans are in the trees or something. It's like, mm. what? It's like, oh, I have no idea what that was. <laughs> That's why we have humans. <laughs> yes. Thank you, so, Elaine. So these transcripts make sense. Uh, you'll also get uh, lots of great stuff like Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility at grc.com. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's Steve's bread and butter, so check it out. And, it fuels uh, all of this. Yeah, work proceeds on Squirrel. You can read about it there and a whole lot more. Yep. We have full uh, quality audio and video at our site, twit.tv slash sn. And, of course, the best thing to do is subscribe to every single episode on your favorite podcatcher there are lots of them, including dedicated Twit apps on all the platforms, and that way you can make sure you don't miss an episode. We do uh, Security Now, by the way, Tuesdays, uh, right after Mac Break Weekly, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 2000 UTC. Uh, and in two weeks, yes. is that right? Or is two it three? Weeks on, three on weeks. On the 30th. Three weeks. As no, that's two weeks. On the 30th or yeah, the... Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Anyway, there's gonna, that's right, because Microsoft is, in, is, believe it or not... <laughs> announcing the next version of Windows on September 30th. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so uh, Mary Jo Foley and Paul Thorat will be at that event in San Francisco on the 30th and will immediately come after the event, come up here and do a special edition of Security Now in this time slot. And then you will be going into the Windows Weekly time slot the following. Yes, day. exactly. So I'll be on Wednesday at October 11. October 1st, Wednesday. Ah, on, right. Right. Just for, But just that's two weeks hence, and that's just for that week, and then we'll be back to yep. normal. And we'll remind everybody next week. Yeah, too. yeah, of course. Hey, we thanks. Have, Steve. Mostly have to, no, we have to. We have to remind ourselves as well. It, frankly, that's what that was for. <laughs> that's you don't and worry, And everybody, folks. don't forget about uh, yesterday's triangulation. Uh, you oh, will not you. regret that podcast. Yeah. Thanks, my friend. Thank you, Steve. We'll see you next time. Security.